Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com, follow us on Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. Hey, welcome back to the program. I'm Lee Lonsberry. This is Live Mike, episode 11. I'm grateful to you for hanging on, listening to all this. I've got some great text messages uh, on that cursive deal I was talking about earlier. In our next segment, uh, we'll talk about that. But right now, I have on the line former representative from the state of Utah, Fred Cox. Uh, sir, how are you? I'm doing great. Good. Hey, listen, the, the reason I've asked you on the program today, as as everyone knows, I think, listening to this program, uh, there was a tax vote in a special session of the Utah State Legislature not that long ago. It carried with it a good number of reforms, and there are pretty much two sides to this whole story. In the last segment, we heard from Rusty Cannon, vice president of the Utah Taxpayers Association, who's very much a supporter of this legislation, which has made its way through the legislature. He uh, shared with us a number of myths and misconceptions in his estimation, uh, that folks ought to get clear. Uh, you, though, find yourself on the other side of that issue uh, and are behind uh, an effort to get the question placed on the ballot in November uh, of this next year. Uh, so, Mr. Cox, I'm not sure if you had any opportunity uh, to listen to, to Rusty Cannon in the last segment, but uh, let me... I, I want Okay, that's all right. I'm sure you, you know what he had to say. Um, but l- let me ask you, I want to talk to you about two things. I want to talk to you about uh, the, the substance of your disagreement with this legislation and also also, out of curiosity, uh, the process of uh, of getting uh, something on the ballot the, in the, the fashion you've chosen. So talk to me first. Uh, let folks listening know uh, why why the vote, which was cast by uh, the Utah legislature and the passage of such, was wrong. Well, it was wrong for about every reason. There's about five major things in the bill. First off, it raises the uh, tax on unprepared food. Uh, the second thing it does is raise the tax on gasoline. Uh, yeah, diesel. But if you if you basically assume that uh, beginning of the first year you're at thirty one point one cents a gallon for the state fuel tax, you add thirty five percent to that, uh, you're at forty two point one or whatever. That's a pretty good increase. So somebody driving around town all of a sudden, every week, every day, however often they fill, they have less money uh, to spend on food. Then they go into the grocery store, uh, 1.75% uh, uh, to 4.85. Uh, that is a 177% tax increase on the food. So they go in with less money because they just spend it on their gas tank. They walk out with less food. 
That is wrong. That's the wrong way to balance our state checkbook. Uh, our state, um, we have to balance our state budget, but we don't have to balance it on the backs of the voters. And, and let me ask that you this. Is wrong. And just giving them sure. a check back later uh, isn't going to solve the problem. And even if, yeah, they maybe get a little bit bigger uh, uh, check, uh, depending on what they're doing or who they're working for or how that's going, it's not going to solve the problem. We're still taking money off of people's food. We're totally reforming how we're going to fund education. We're totally changing how we're going to fund roads. I don't really want the user fees that the, this uh, sets up. And we are starting to tax services in a way that we've never done before. Granted, this is a lot fewer, the people that didn't have the lobbyists. But all five of those things are key points of this legislation, and all five of them are wrong, and I am not talking to very many people at all that are in favor of this. Uh, obviously, uh, you had somebody on that, that was, but I just talked to the average person, and they're looking for a packet to sign because they're ticked. They didn't feel like the legislature listened to them at all. I want to I uh, talk to you about those packets. I want to get into the, the specifics of how, uh, of how sure. your effort works. Uh, but, but first, I want to go back to, to one issue you, you mentioned just briefly, and it's a concept that I'm... If I'm honest, I'm having a hard time understanding uh, where folks are not satisfied uh, by that rebate check that could come back when compared to their you know month-to-month spending. Uh, one of the attitudes I heard communicated earlier was that even knowing uh, that you, in a year-to-year basis, would end up with less money, that you would rather have it in your pocket each month uh, rather than receiving a check at the end of the year. Now, correct me where my characterization is wrong. And then help me understand uh, this this uh, this issue. Well, some of these people have never walked into the store with three dollars to go buy food. I have, uh, luckily, not for a while. But I've walked in. You're looking at a gallon of milk that you can use for cereal, and you're looking at that can of chicken that you can make chicken soup. The amount of tax on that food is critical in determining what you're going to walk out of the store. We're taking people that are buying their own food. These are not people on food stamps. These are not people getting help from the state or federal. They're buying their own food, and we're throwing them underneath the bus. That is wrong. That's why uh, Utah's Against Hunger and other groups are supportive of the referendum is because they know that it hurts those people immediately and severely and uh, giving them a rebate check later doesn't solve the problem. Is this then an issue with just year 2020? Would that check once given out make everything okay in 2021? No, it doesn't. It doesn't work that way. Um, you're, you're taking individuals that are struggling to make ends meet, and just because they get a a bigger uh, tax break uh, later, it's not going to solve the problem Okay. Then, and it's not going to solve the problem long term. So, no, I I don't agree that that we've got a, a bill that's over 200 pages, and most of it is to try to undo the damage that's being created by the bill. Uh, so, we're actually better off if this bill was never passed, and that's what we're trying to do: is block the the bill from ever taking effect because it's not effective now. They didn't get their two thirds vote. 
Right. Why anybody would ever hold a special session on something like this if they didn't have a two-thirds vote of both houses, I don't have a clue. But it was the wrong thing to do, wrong time to do it, and it isn't effective for 60 days. It doesn't affect anybody for 60 days, according to our state constitution. And we have time to get the signatures and put it on the ballot, and everybody can vote it down this fall, and it never happened. Sure. Okay, now help me Tell me understand. Uh, give me an education. Tell me what you're up to. Tell me how it started, and tell me how folks can learn about your efforts. Okay. Um, it, we have to have approximately 116,000 signatures, which is about 8% of the people that voted the last major election, uh, in at least 15 counties. Um, to do that, I would need around 2,500 packets of 49 signatures each. Um, and I've got 3,600 out. Within a week, I will have 5,000 packets. So we've got the packets printed. We've already raised uh, $20,000, mostly on small donations of five, ten, uh, $25 donations. And uh, so we're raising the money. We've already got a large chunk of the money that we need, probably two-thirds. And we've got these packets out. They're going all over the state. We've got a group of 15,000 or more uh, people that signed up to volunteer to help one way or the other, either to sign or to help get packets out. We only need 5,000 uh, to get over 200,000 signatures and uh, so that's what our goal is, is to get as many as we can. We believe that there's 2 million people out there that want to sign this thing. Now, you, you, and based on that, uh, we don't think there's going to be any trouble getting uh, the 116,000 or certainly a lot more signatures on the packet. Now, you talk about packet. To tell us very basically, w- w- what is this packet? That's where folks sign, yes, but what else is contained? Is there information okay, there? What's the, a packet? The, the the packet, the lieutenant governor's office took that over 200-page bill and changed the formatting and included a copy on the uh, the approved packet that they would send us. So each packet has a copy of the bill. It has a place where they can sign. It's got some specific important things that they need to read because if you sign two, if you sign two packets, you don't sign your name uh, correctly, whatever. You can get in trouble. We can get in trouble. So we're being very specific to help people make sure that they're registered voters. We're helping make sure that they've got their name written the way that it's written on their voting registration. Uh, Our goal is to fix it. We don't have anybody's signature uh, thrown out. We're using volunteers. We're not paying these signature gatherers. These are people that are donating their own time and money to go collect these uh, signatures. And, uh, we, we had some turned in uh, last week. We've got more going in today and certainly this week. Uh, but we anticipate uh, easily meeting the threshold that we need. So this will go on the ballot this fall. And all those 200 pages of how to fix a, a nightmare does not make this right. I, I've mentioned it before that if you, if you put rainbow sprinkles on a donut that's made out of crap, it's still crap. Mm. This is a bad bill. It doesn't help the people that it needs to. It doesn't help the average voter, let alone those that are struggling. And ultimately, the legislature realizes 
that this is the wrong way to balance their budget. They've already got enough money coming in. They're struggling on how to spend it in the right place. There are simple solutions to that, uh, and they're trying to make this a lot more complicated than it needs to be. Mr. Cox, uh, two rapid-fire questions for you. Uh, we're already way late. I'm getting uh, mean looks from producer Amy. Uh, but uh, first off, what's your deadline? Uh, the 21st of January, but this packet is only good for 14 days once we get a signature. That's uh, new legislation that the legislature passed this last year, and we're doing everything we can to follow it by the letter. If someone wants to get their hands on one of your packets to, to peruse and potentially sign it, how do they do that? We've got two websites. One is uh, utah2019tax.com. The other one is ut 2019taxreferendum.com. I created the last one. The other one's been donated. There are links to meetings all over the state. You can go. You can get trained to gather packets. You can sign. You can arrange to get your own packet to take around and, and help your neighbors avoid this nightmare that's created. Our guest has been former Utah State Representative Fred Cox. He's behind an effort to get uh, this whole issue of tax reform on the ballot. Uh, he is not a fan of, of the recent tax reform that passed the Utah legislature and would like uh, your help in overturning that. I am grateful to you for hanging on through this segment. I apologize for going late. Uh, next up, we're going to clean up. We're going to talk about some of, the, uh, some of the responses I've gotten on the cursive issue and on some other issues uh, here on Live Mike. I'm Lee Lonsberry, and this is KSL News Radio. I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office to meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts.